0: Revelation basically is is that God has revealed himself in various ways. Now we know the word of God says the heavens declare the glory of God. And and we know that um, long before, actually, you could go back. uh, uh, E.W. Bullinger wrote a book many years ago on the witness of the stars. And if you've never read that, uh, you, ought, you ought to read that. That's another book. If you go online and search for it, you can download it as a PDF form free. And you can have that. Or you can go to some website and they'll sell it to you. But you can get it free and read it. And really what it talks about, it talks about how God uh, put into, into place these certain constellations that all really speak about him. And declare his glory. Long before there was a zodiac. Long before there was a zodiac. There, there were these constellations. That God had put into place. To declare his glory. To declare his sovereignty. as He is the, the God of, of all creation. And that is there. And Bullinger in his book. Uh, it's not a big book. It's probably about that thick. Bullinger and his book goes into great, just great detail of that. And, and I would encourage you if, you, if you have a computer and you can download it and save it, and you can read it at your leisure, um, I, would, I would encourage you to do that. But God has revealed himself through his creation. And in Romans chapter 1, it says the natural things are, are we just see them. We can, see the, we can see the creation, and, and, and we can know that there is uh, a God. There is a creator. There is, there is something. Now, I know nowadays some people want to use the term intelligent design simply because they don't want to give God credit. But they're going to say, well, there is something out there. Um, but uh, again, the Word of God tells us that God has revealed himself through the very nature, and and when you look at when you look at nature, and and really, I, I read it uh, many years ago. Uh, for for things to come together, as they have, would be the equivalent of a tornado traveling through a junkyard and fully assembling a fully operational seven forty seven. The odds are about the same, okay. Um, but when you get down in and you start studying the, the human body, the the, the eye, uh, the human eye, and what it is able to do and how, how it is designed. When you get down and you study uh, plant life and how that plant life is designed and how that plant, every plant is designed to reproduce itself, uh, you know that there's much something out there greater than just chance. And, and that greater than chance is God. So when God says... Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. And I'll I'll tell you something. I've often said that that might be one of the most important verses of all of Scripture. All of Scripture. Because in reality, all of Scripture rises and falls on the validity of that very first verse. If that verse isn't true, if that verse isn't true... Then what part of the Bible can we count on? What what part of the word of God can we really say, well, that's true. If the first verse is wrong, why is the second one right? And and so I said it rises and falls on the validity of that first verse. And it says, in the beginning, God created the the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. And so... So we have that, and God has revealed himself in many ways. Now, one example that is often given when we're talking about the word of God is Moses. And how Moses received what he wrote. And and one of them is by God revealing things to him. So, Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, except as we saw in the video last night, uh, Joshua wrote the last chapter of Deuteronomy because Moses had died. And the last chapter talks about his death and his burial. And uh, it was uh, two years ago now, Susan and I actually stood on the mountain where Moses is buried. No one knows where it is. No one knows where it is. We could have been standing on it. But we, were st- we stood there. And I'll tell you something. Do you remember when God took Moses up into the mountain? Why did God take him to that, mo- to that mountain right before he died? Why did he take him right there? Anybody know? He was going to show him the land. Remember, very shortly after that, the children of Israel would enter into that promised land. But Moses, because of his disobedience, was not permitted to enter. But God did show it to him. And when we stood on top that mountain that day, and you look out, right, straight out ahead of you, way off into the distance, uh, you could see. Now, we were there on a very uh, hazy day. But even on a hazy day, you could still see the city of Jerusalem. And if you look to the, straight down off the mountain, was a was a nice fertile band going here. That's the Jordan River. That's where the children of Israel would be crossing in just a few days. You look down here to the left, and you see the northern end of the the Dead Sea. If you look way up to the north, you could see the Sea of Galilee. And so when you think about it, when he said he showed him the, the promised land, or at least what they would occupy, they basically saw it from north to south. And all that was there, um, and, and it was that—that's one of the highlights of the of the trips that we've been able to take. But um, so, so God reveals. So you have Moses. So now Moses lived here, and back here uh, a good deal of time. I don't know if that thing's going to follow me, or I have to stand still, or what. But anyway, down here you have creation. Well, who wrote about creation? Who wrote Genesis? Moses did, right? But was Moses alive back here? No. Moses wasn't alive back here. So, well, how did he know about it then? How did he know about it? And so what, what the, the idea is that God, God revealed certain things about that to Moses. All right? And then you come ahead, you have the flood. Well, Moses didn't know that. He didn't live during that period of time. So what happened again? God had to reveal that to him and reveal that there was this flood and it lasted for about a year. And, you know, we have all of this. And and so God revealed that to Moses. And then you just keep coming through through the Old Testament and on. And different writers, God would reveal certain things to them. And so that is a, a special revelation, direct revelation. So you have natural revelation. This is what I know, I can see, and, and I, I know that's out there. And then you have this special revelation or divine revelation where God has revealed things to the writers. And those writers then wrote it down. All right. Now, we're going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. Because then that, and that's revelation. All right. So now, what about inspiration? What about inspiration? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says in verse 16, all Scripture. Now, let's just right away, let's settle something right now. What does the word all mean? (laughs) All right. All means all, all of the time, unless there's a qualifier to qualify the word all. If there's not a qualifier that in some way minimizes the word all, then it means all. All right. Uh, Let me me just give you an example of that. Just keep your finger there, but go back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 22. Romans 3, verse 22. It says this, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Now, you see the word all there twice, correct? All right. Now, even the the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. So now we're talking about the faithfulness of Christ in the work of redemption, in that work of, of the death, burial and resurrection. Uh, Jesus Christ was not a Jesus Christ was a full willing participant. He was it was not something that was forced upon him. It was something that he willingly did. All right? And 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 he was faithful to that plan uh, of the Father. And that's really what he's talking about here. Uh, If if you have a a newer perversion, I mean a translation, uh, it says faith in Christ. Correct? It says faith in Christ. Well, let me tell you something. There's a big difference between the faith of Christ and faith in Christ. The faith of Christ is speaking about who? It's talking about Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ is talking about who? It's talking about my faith. His faith, it's now my faith. Um, and I, you've got to be very careful with that. Very careful with that. I far rather depend on his faithfulness than me. You're not supposed to do But anyway, so here we have this. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto who? All. So when Jesus Christ died, when Jesus Christ died, Who did he die to or for? Everyone. Right? He paid the price of redemption for who? All. Right? It was there for all. So that gift that he secured and he offers, that gift can be offered to who? All. All. That's unto all. Correct? But then what does it say? And upon who? All. Oh, well then, okay. So it's unto all. Who is the all? Everyone. Unto all. Who is the all? No, there's a qualifier for this one. There's a choir qualifier for this one. This brings it down to those who believe. This brings it down to those who, who believe. So, in other words, that actual work of, of redemption, while it is available to all, correct, is only applied to who? Those who believe. Those who believe. You see, people don't go to hell today because Christ didn't die for them. They go to hell today because they've rejected the gift. Because they've rejected the gift. And basically... They say no to Christ. I don't want it. I don't want it. Well, So that's where, that's where I'm saying it all means all unless there's a qualifier that tells us who the all are. Um, and so you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and it says all scripture. All scripture. All scripture. And the word scripture there means all. All of the sacred writings, so that would be everything from Genesis to the map, Good. Genesis to Revelation. All of that would be the sacred writings. All of that is the Scripture, and and we could go through script where Paul uses and quotes from different places, and it's all 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 called Scripture. It's all called Scripture. So when we come here to 2 Timothy 3.16, he says all Scripture, all of the sacred writings, that would be what would, what would entail the so-called Old Testament, and it would entail that which we call the New Testament. And so it's everything from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. It says it is given, it is given, and that word given means sent or presented, passed along, okay? Uh, it's given by what? Inspira- it's over there on the wall. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration, those three words, inspiration of God, are actually one word, one compound word in the original languages. And, the, and it's, it's the word theopneustos. Now, you break that word theopneustos down, and theo is the Greek word for theo, theos, Greek word for God, God. Neustos comes from a root word, pneuma. Pneuma is, if any guys here use tools, you know what pneuma tools are. What are they? Air tools. Pneumatic tools, that's where the word comes from. It talks about air. And so what you have here by the word inspiration of God is that every word in this book, every word in this book came from what? The very breath of God. The very breath of God. In the word of God, the word of God presents three things that God breathed out. Only three things that God breathed out. You know what they are? Anybody know what they are? Well, one of them's right here. So all right, the scriptures. He breathed out the scriptures. What? The breath of life. And who did he breathe the breath of life into? Man. Any, anything else? Only man received the breath of life. All right? What's the third one? Now, if you were here last night, we mentioned it up here with the puppet. But you were here last night. <laughs> yeah. All right, what is it? Yes. So, three things. He breathed out the breath of life. He breathed out the stars and gave every one of them a name. And he breathed out the word of God. He breathed out the scriptures. And, and that's exactly what it's saying. All scripture is given by the very breath of God. Very breath of God. We went to a, a, a seminar, a conference a couple of years ago on the Bible. And the opening speaker was talking about this verse. And he says, in reality, when it's the breath of God, it's not really inspiration, but rather expiration. Expiration. That God breathed out the words, right? That would be expiration. But as he breathed out the words in expiration, what did the author receive? He was inspired by those words. So in reality, you can think of it as expiration, inspiration, expiration, inspiration, expiration, inspiration. And that really doesn't make any difference. I thought I'd throw it in. Okay. I thought it was interesting. All right. All scripture is given by God. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. And it's profitable for what? Profitable for doctrine. Doctrine. Now, what is doctrine? You know, I have these people always, when I was pastoring here, saying, you know what? Can we have something other than doctrine? Can we have something other than doctrine. Can somebody tell me what doctrine is? It's what? It's teaching. Oh, we want we want doctrine. We don't want doctrine. We, we want something other than we like doctrine, but let's have something over here. Okay, let's uh, teach us how to live. Oh, wait a minute, that's teach. That would be doctrine. No, you know if if the if the pastor's standing in the pulpit and he's teaching what's he giving doctrine all right and so what this is is it's profitable for doctrine well what doctrine is really what we believe isn't it isn't it that's what we believe all right and and uh not everybody believes the same thing do they If everybody believed the same thing, everybody would be just like me. But some people have mistakes. (laughs) But listen, listen, doctrine is what we believe. How do we make sure that the doctrine we believe is right? Well, that's right. Pick up Bible. But what's the very next word? Reprove. What's reprove? What's reprove? Reproving is checking, checking. Like, is my doctrine right? I've got it. I better check it out. I better make sure it's right. I better put it to the test. And what's the test? The word of God. The word of God. So so I have this teaching, and also. I come along, but maybe not everything I'm I'm learning is in line right with the Word of God. So I bring bring it into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to put it to the test. Or I weigh it against what the Word of God is saying. And, And what is, again, what is my only absolute authority in life? It's the Word of God. So when I have an issue that I need to deal with, I need to take it to the Word of God. And the Word of God is there. To reprove it, to check it, to verify it, to make sure it's right. And then, so what's the next one? Correction. So it's going to take that teaching that I'm reproving, and now it's going to correct it. It's going to bring it in line with the Word of God. Hut, two, three, four, two, three, four. Are they so we have doctrine for reproof, and now we brought it into correction, and then we have instruction in what righteousness instruction and righteousness now? Instruction, taking that and living it out righteously, putting it into practice righteously in my life, correctly in my life, using it for using it uh, as, as a tool. For, for, for the gospel. For, for, the, for, for Christ's sake. For correction and righteousness. That the man of God may be what? Thoroughly perfect. May be perfect. May be mature. May be equipped. Thoroughly furnished unto all what? Good works. So God has given us his word. He has spoken his word to us. He has given us his word. He's given us his word so that we know what we ought to believe. We know how to verify what we believe. We know how to correct what we believe. And we know how to then live out and, and carry out those good works that he wants us to be doing. And we know how to carry them out righteously, correctly before God. And how why did he, he give that to us? By what? inspiration. He has given us, he has given us all the instructions that we ever would need are right here, are right here. Now, I was talking about this the other night. I want you to go over to Colossians chapter 3. Someone asked the question, what if the Bible isn't specific in some area? Are there areas in the Bible that in our life aren't really addressed in black and white in the Bible? Are there? Specifically? Yeah. There are things in our lives that that um, aren't there or weren't there and but and in that case how do we know what to do? How do we know what to do? And I and I, I I thought of that and I said, Well, look at Colossians chapter three and verse seventeen. Colossians three and verse seventeen. It says this, and whatsoever you do, now what in the world would that cover? pretty much everything back to all yeah and every and what you do you do now do that's an action right right is that action yeah whatsoever you do in word now what would that cover <laughs> my my mouth speech communication language all right what's that what you post on Facebook, well, only if you speak it in. Um, it says word or deed. Deed would probably be typing because that's physical now. But, but it says whatsoever you do. Whatsoever would cover what? <laughs> whatsoever. All. Oh. Um, with a word like whatsoever, the, it, it covers everything. It it covers everything. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do... Do what? Do all. Now, if if this verse makes you uncomfortable, what I found a long time ago with verses that make me uncomfortable, I highlight them with a black magic marker. And then I found... I don't bother. That doesn't bother me anymore. You know. But don't use one that bleeds through. Because you could, you know, block out one on the next page. It is good. You know? No. But listen. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let's, let's just pretend for a moment. We're going through the day. And we come to one of those forks that we have. With a fork. We come to one of those forks where we have to make a decision. Is this right or is this wrong? Ought I do this or ought not I do this? Okay. And, and it's one of those areas that we're going we're to acknowledge that there may be some gray areas. All right. We're going to say, okay, maybe there's an area that the Bible doesn't specifically mention that. All right. Uh, should I buy a cat or shouldn't I? Well, the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't, you know, but maybe you can if you want to. And if you keep them long enough, marinate them, they make a great casserole. But anyway, um, so you come to one of those forks in the road. What do you do? Well, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all what? In the name of the Lord Jesus. So don't you just stop and ask yourself a question for a minute. If I do this, can I really do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? In his name? Do I really want to say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus Christ? And you say, well, well, I guess maybe I can. Well, then that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Pretty much covers it. Or... And not only can I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, but then he says, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Not only can I do it in his name, but can I thank him for the opportunity to do it or to say it or watch it or or whatever, you know, when those things come into our life instantly. We have something to weigh it against. Whether the Bible is specific or not, we still have something to weigh it against. We can weigh it against the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can weigh it against, can I do it in his name? When I do it, is it going to be honoring to him? Am I honoring him in my life by doing this? Am I honoring him in, this, in my life by saying this or watching this or whatever it is? Am I honoring him? in my life to that, and then, when I'm all done with this, can I say, oh, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to do that? And you know what? If the answer is no, then the fork of the road really goes away, doesn't it? And we have we have the answer we need. And, and you know what? You say, well, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. You know, the one thing that bother. The Bible never talks; tells us to pray about the obvious. <laughs> I mean, if if the answer is no, do I need to pray about it? Then it goes down in twenty-three. Verse twenty-three and says again, "There's that word whatsoever. Whatsoever you do, do it wholeheartedly, heartily." So now. You put your all into it. You put your all. You do it wholeheartedly. heartedly. heartily. Oh, there's that thing again though. As to the Lord. As to the Lord. And not. Unto men. And not unto men. So I think. That's why really. We can get into the word of God. And the word of God can superabound in us. But. But there are those times when we just have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Should I be doing this or shouldn't I? And I think the word of God's given us a pretty good barometer to answer that question. And if we're serious about it, we'll allow him to answer that question. Sometimes we'd rather, we don't really care because we really want to do that. We really want to do this. And, and then after all, you know, we are under grace. Right? So it really doesn't matter anyway. What's that? It does? Oh, well. Several years ago, we were in a, a, a Bible conference and the afternoon speaker was talking through preaching through galatians and he came to galatians chapter 5 oh did he ever ignore, uh, ignite a hornet's nest came to galatians chapter 5 verse 1 and it says stand fast therefore in the what liberty, liberty wherewith christ has made us free, free. i'm free I'm free. I have liberty. What's that mean? What's that mean? I have liberty. I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do. You know, I just feel like Julie Andrews. I am free. You know, and I can do whatever I want to do. And you know what? That's exactly what he was saying. That's exactly what he was saying. We can do whatever we want to do. We're free. We're under grace. You know, we have liberty now, free in Christ. But in my Bible, the Bible I had that day on my lap, you went straight across to the next page. And there was, there was verse 13. There was verse 13. And it says this, for brethren, you have not been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Yes, I am set free. I am set free from the bondage of sin. Yes, I have been set free from the condemnation of sin. Yes, I have freedom in Christ. But I have been set free to live and serve Christ. That's what I've been set free for. I have now liberty from the law to serve in Christ. To serve Christ. I don't have liberty to go out and do whatever I want to do. You know, but shouldn't we sin that grace may abound? What's the word of God say to that? God forbid. God forbid. And I was going to say, the Romans were a little thick-headed. He had to say it to them twice in the same chapter. <laughs> and in that chapter twice, he tells us to be yielding and yield our members as instruments of righteousness. As instruments of righteousness. So, but 2 Thess- uh, Timothy 3, the Word of God gave to us inspiration, and, and all of it is God breathed, and all of it is there to, to bring us in a conformity to His will and His Word, and, and that our teaching and our beliefs are in line with His Word. And his word rightly divided. Never forget that. Never forget that. Um, I would argue that there's really no area of our life that we can't look at and, and understand what God wants us to do correctly without rightly dividing the word of truth. And that would even go so far as sharing the gospel. If you don't rightly divide the word of truth, you can't truly understand What the gospel is. What the gospel is. And I'm talking about the saving gospel. You can't truly understand. What that really is. Without that. But. Go to 2nd Peter. 2nd Peter 1. If you can't find it. It's right after 1st Peter. I try to help as much as I can. Was I right? Was I right? See, I told you. And if you have the right kind of Bible, it's on page 1318. Check your Bibles. Anybody have it on that page? Who has it on that page? You do? All right. We have one person here with the right Bible. All right, 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Uh, 19. I really thought you would have known that. Oh, you were asking for a friend. Okay. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in the dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. A couple of things that we need to understand here. Yes, yes, when Peter's writing here, Yes, he is, first of all, directing himself to the prophecies given by those Old Testament prophets. Yes, that's what he is speaking. And yes, in its, in its context, that is what he is directing them to. Because you must understand that as Peter is writing here, 2 Peter, First and 2 Peter, all of these so-called general epistles... They will have their ultimate fulfillment at what point in time? After the rapture, during the tribulation, and, and beyond. And, and uh, so, yes, what Peter is saying here, he is reassuring these people, the, the Jewish believers here, that what all these Old Testament prophets had written was, was not of their own volition. It was It was not something they had decided to do and to write about And concerning this, but all of that, what they had said back there, was was spoken and given to them by God himself. And that for that reason, all of those promises that God had made in times past, those promises will come to fruition at some point in the yet future to us. All right. I believe when Peter wrote this, that Peter was looking for that to happen, maybe even in his own day. But we know that God interrupted that program by uh, inserting into his timeline the dispensation of the grace of God. That's for you and I. Uh, That's for the world without distinction. Um, Up until that time, I think we're all well enough aware that from Genesis chapter 12 through mid-Acts 13, God was dealing with who? Israel. Where were we as Gentiles? Outside. Outside. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were without God, without Christ. We were alien, alien, aliens. Right? From those promises and covenants that God was making with, the, with His people, with Israel. And, and uh, we were in a Sunday school class a couple weeks ago, and the teacher was talking about how we were under the old covenant at one time, and now today we're under the new covenant. And, and all of these covenants, and I'm thinking, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because he did not rightly divide the word of truth. It was not a grace church, just to set your minds at ease. All right? Um, but, but that has led to much confusion. You think of the last two years. In, on You talk about Facebook. Facebook has been full of all kinds of prophecy and how we're living in the end times and and the word of God is just unfolding before our eyes and all of the prophecies coming true. And here we are. You know, Uh, was it uh, not too long ago the radio preacher said that the rapture was going to occur in May. May came May went, so he got on the radio then. He said, well, that was the silent rapture. The, the, the full rapture will be in October of this year. Here we are. Here we are. So if you fail to rightly divide the word of truth, you're going to, you're going to not understand what God did yesterday, what he's doing today, and what he's going to complete in the future. And if you don't understand that. Then you mix that cauldron all up. And you have nothing but confusion. Nothing but confusion. Okay. And, and we need to be very careful. Now, so I'm saying all that to say this. Yes, that's what Peter's talking about. But Peter's also talking about the reception of the word of God. He's talking about the reception of the word of God the Old Testament prophets were, were speaking and writing the Word of God, correct? And so while we understand, okay, he's talking about all those old prophecies, he's not really talking about the age of grace. The fact remains that he's giving to us how the Word of God came down to man. And, and so we, when we understand that, we understand we can look at the word prophecies as the proclamation of the word of, of God's of God's word or a word from God, right? And when he and so when you go down here, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, where until you do well, if you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in the dark place. So you go down to verse twenty, and he says, knowing this first, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture, no prophecy of the scripture now. Peter, yes, Peter has, in, immediately, what Peter has in mind would be the Old Testament. Correct? But remember, keep something in mind. The Old Testament includes more than Genesis to Malachi. The Old Testament also includes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Old Testament also, also includes Hebrews, 1st and 2nd Peter, James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude and Revelation. That all technically belong, be, belongs to the Old Testament, or God's dealings with the nation of Israel, and His kingdom program here on earth. Here on earth. Man, man has put divisions in the Bible For one reason or another, makes it easier to read, makes it easier to understand. But while he has put those divisions in the Bible, he has also caused great confusion. Because people look at, well, that's the Old Testament, but we're the New Testament church. Well, no, wait a minute. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John just pick up where Malachi left off. So, what do you mean the New Testament church? And and they say, well, it's the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament. But we have to understand that the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is really one book. It's covering one period. I mean, it's, it's talking about, how do I put this? The work of God in time. All of time. From the beginning to the end. And back here, God was dealing with Israel. Today, he's dealing with the body of Christ. Here, he's going to deal primarily with Israel again. And finish his program with Israel. And that's Old Testament, Old Testament. This isn't the New Testament. This is actually the New Testament. Because the New Testament is the New Covenant. And the New Covenant God made with Israel. Not the church body of Christ. We're not part of the New Covenant. The only aspect of the New Covenant that one might relate to the body of Christ is the blood of Christ. The blood that he shed for the new covenant is the same blood he shed for you and I. So the redemptive act is for us. The rest is for, for Israel in the future. And and uh, so we come here. So coming back here and and how all of this is, 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 the, is really the giving of Scripture. Where did Scripture come from? And he says here, knowing this first, that no... Prophecy of the scripture is of any what? Private interpretation. Now, what does that mean? Private interpretation. Well, the word private would mean personal. Or me. All right. So no prophecy of scripture came. Because Moses decided one day. He said to Mrs. Moses. You know honey i'm i'm I, I goeth into my study to writeth the scriptures <laughs> and today i thinketh that i will writeth about the creation <laughs> something like that all right so So let me see, Uh, how would this, how would, how do you think that, honey, how would this sound if I start, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Oh, Moses, that's going to grab them. That'll get, yes, that's an excellent first word to put in that book. You do that. And so they talked back and forth for a while. Then he went into his office and he started writing it. Okay? Then he came one day and he said to his wife, I've heard this thing about a flood. So I think today I'm going to write about a flood. And you know, God's revealed that there was a flood. And, and so I think I'm going to make it last 100 years. I think I'll make it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And... And you know what? Let's get some action in here so the firmament of the deep is going to worship up and the waters from the high are going to crash down. That's exciting. They'll make a movie out of this one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then you just come on and all these, all these things that go on. And, 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 and I think for many people, that's basically how it came about. God gave to man, through, through special revelation, these basic, a basic outline. Here's the outline. Now you fill it in. Here's Moses, here's the outline. I'm going to reveal to you the basics of creation, and, and you fill it in. And, and I'm going to give to you the basics of the flood, and you fill it in. And I'm going to give to you the basics of the Tower of Babel. And you fill, fill that in. And I'm going to give this. And you fill that in. And, and I know you know more about this. So really, Moses, when it comes to the Exodus, you don't need a lot of help from me. Because you lived all of that. So, so you just write that down as it is. Now, you think that's funny, don't you? You think that's funny? Well, I'll tell you, that's how a lot of people believe. When they get to the, to the idea of revelation, that it's basically God gave the idea because, well, Moses didn't live back here. So what would he know about that? Well, frankly, I would think that in, even in the relative short period of time from Adam to Moses, what is it, a thousand years? Something like that? A thousand years? Don't you think they handed down stories like they do today? I think Moses had an idea about the flood, or about Mo. And I'll bet he had a lot more ideas about the flood. He lived closer to that. But but I don't so but God gave them the idea, and then Moses filled in. He gave them the idea, Moses filled in. And and that's the way they go with Revelation. That's the way they go with Revelation. And and I, I would argue that might be the way you want to go with Revelation. But that doesn't jive with inspiration. That doesn't jive with inspiration. And if if inspiration and revelation don't come together, then what you have is basically man's ideas. And what you have is eventually you have a corrupted text. Correct? You have a text that you really can't fully trust because it's a combination of things and as soon as you bring you take a foul, infallible god and fallible man and you put them together and they come up with a text what part are you going to follow in fact you know one of the old translations the revised version which is old 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 version the revised version in 2 Timothy 3:16 said all scripture that is inspired of god is profitable for doctrine for correction for correction, now do you hear what it said? All Scripture that is inspired by God of God. As soon as you put that word "that" in there, it makes it it, it makes it totally. Uh, what do you call it? um? What? Corrupt. Well, it's corrupt, but it's totally up to you. Which is what's the inspired part? It just says all Scripture that is inspired. Well, how do you know what it is? Well, I like that part. I black highlight the others. You know, um, I like that part, but I don't like that part. So this part must be inspired. This part isn't. So let's forget that part. And 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 that's really where you are. When when you give to man, when you put man, when you put the human aspect into that in any way, shape, or form, I believe you're detracting from the Word of God as far as being an absolute authority. As far as being without error uh, and I would argue that in reality in many ways it's not very trustworthy it's not very trustworthy I'll give you another example when people read the New Testament they, they did it in the movie last night when Martin Luther read Habakkuk something to something was it or whatever the just shall live by faith um, and, and, and if you look in the Bible, they quoted, uh, they showed on the, the verse in the Bible where it had the Romans 4 passage. And then over here, it had in the Martin Habakkuk. Like, like, like um, uh, Paul looked back here at Habakkuk and said, you know, I like that verse. Let's quote that over here. Only, we're not going to quote it exact. We're going to quote the idea and we'll put that over here. The just shall live by faith. And, and, and they start talking about how this verse is copied from this verse. Well, who did the copying? Who did, no, who does the copying? Man does the copying. Man does the copying. I would offer to this. There is no verse over here that's copied from over here. God inspired this verse with these words. And God inspired this, these verses with these words. They may sound similar, but I think keep man out of it. Keep man out of it. Okay? So, But let's go back here to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is any private interpretation. All right? For the prophecy came not in old time, times past, by the what? Will of man, what's that mean? Remember what I said? How Moses got up and said to his wife, Honey, I'm going to go into the office. Oh, I can't take this. Uh, Susan, take this. This is too important. Talk to my wife. Um, so Moses went in the office and said, You know, I think I'll talk about this. No, no, doesn't that make it by the will of man? Does it make it by the will of man when Moses says, I think I'm going to do this today? That's the will of man. How about Moses got up one day and God moved him into the office and said, "Now write about this. Uh, it says, no prophecy of scripture came by the will of man. But, but holy men of God wrote or spake or wrote as they were what? Moved. By the Holy Ghost. Yeah, Holy Ghost. All right? Well, what's that mean? Moved. Moved. That word moved means almost like they were picked up and carried along without any any input from themselves. And, and I was, I, I, I've always illustrated this way. It's the only illustration I know and it's the best illustration. When, when, we, when, I, when I was a kid, I grew up. And out in front of our house, I did grow up as a kid. Yeah. When um, some people think I haven't yet. But uh, out in the front of our yard, there was a, a, a gutter that ran down along the side of the street. Okay? And it ran down across in front of our yard, under our driveway. So there was a little culvert there. And then down to the end of the street. Well, when it would rain and rain kind of hard, my brother and I would go out and play in it. Because that gutter would fill up and the water would be running down there. And the uh, thing is when when uh, we had thunder and lightning our mom would give them ball bats to go out and play with. <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, so that water would be running down. Well well my brother and I would make little boats out of sticks, twigs, whatever it was that would float, and then we would see up here at this end if we could put, the, put it in the water and how far down we could get it to go and under the driveway and, and see if we could get all the way down to the end of the street, all right? And, and so you put it in and the water's running. It's running off the street and it's raining so the water is not just flowing. So sometimes it would just immediately hit the side and stop. Sometimes it would go on down and stop, sometimes. But once I put my my twig or boat into the water, what control did I have of that? None. None. Who had all the control? The water did. The water did. The water would literally carry that boat along to wherever it really, if it had a mind, where it would take that boat. And that's exactly what Peter's saying here. Holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And those, those men of God, as they penned the word of God, God was giving them every thee and thou and ye and you and it and should and all of that as they were given and they were writing it down. They were writing it down. So that every, every, every word, all Scripture... Is given by what? The breath of God. All scripture is given. As holy men of God. Were carried along. Carried along. By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost. So when people say to me. Who wrote Matthew? I'll say. God did. Okay. Now as preachers. We, we make that mistake all the time. You know. Well. Well. Paul wrote the, book of a Roman, wrote the book of Romans. No, he didn't. God did. Paul was merely the pen. He held the pen. Um, and, and, and the other thing is this. As they were moved along and as they wrote, God, in his infinite wisdom and power, was able to cause them to write in their own style. So that when you read Paul's epistles, they all read very similar. And you can say, oh, that's Paul's writing style. Or if you read Matthew, it reads different than Luke. And, and Luke and Acts read the same. Why? Because Luke wrote both books. No, he didn't. God did through Luke. All right. But, but, that's, but that's, that's it. And see, you see all of that. And, and the, sa- the sad thing is it bothers me. And one reason why I really wanted to do this these two days is to, to just see that in the world that we live today, there's a, there is a push to, to force human influence and effort into the word of God. And when you put human influence or effort in the word of God, then it's really no longer the word of God word of God and in many ways it becomes corrupt and we saw that in the video last night where from the very beginning when when Rome really was beginning to take over and and how right at the very beginning they, the Vulgate became corrupted the very beginning it became corrupted intentionally corrupted and then it was used over and over and over and over again and later on people looked at it and said wait a minute, this, this, there's something wrong here. This is not the word of God. And, and um, so I think we need to be very careful. We need to understand revelation, and we need to understand inspiration. We, we need to understand what it really is, and really what it isn't, what it isn't. Um, so, um, so any questions or comments? Well, you gonna tell me how good it is or what? forty men wrote as God moved them over fifteen hundred years on three continents. Yep. So most of the men that God used to actually put down the picture were met Oh no. It's only divinely possible, only divinely possible for that to happen, for that to happen. the The Iliad by Homer. Should have done this years ago. No, um, what I have here is um, some things I was going to give you. Um, if, I, if I could get some help here handing these out, I'd appreciate it. Here somehow that should be enough over okay. uh, here that should probably be enough, yeah. I have here, I quoted last night from Coverdale. Would anybody like a copy of that? You want a copy of it? That's 50 cents. Do you want one? Do you want one? That's the quote from Coverdale. Anybody else want one of those? You want one of those? You one of those? Thank you. I'll give you fifty Yeah, okay. <laughs> Here. You paying for theirs too? No. Oh. You want one of these? You want one? You want one? Last night, I read Coverdale's quote. Excuse me. Um, what do you have? What's that? Yeah. Um, let me have one of those. All right, let's take this one. Uh, The chronological order of books. Chronological order of books. Now understand, this is the chronological order of books in our New Testament. The Jewish New Testament is, uh, actually the Jewish New Testament is exactly the same content. It's just the books are arranged a little different. And some of them are combined uh, in theirs. But when you look at this, the reason I do this is just because what I want people to understand by doing this is chronologically the Old Testament ends with the book of Nehemiah. So you have Genesis, from Genesis to Nehemiah, it's basically a chronological presentation of what happened in the Old Testament period. And people say, but what about the prophets? And what about the Psalms? And what about all of those other books? Where do they fit in that? Well, if you notice under Genesis, there's the book of Job. Okay. Now, I will tell you this. It's placed there. But in reality, I don't think there's anybody that knows exactly where Job fits. It, it is a book all by itself. Um, it's generally placed between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. Simply because in Genesis 11, you have the Tower of Babel and man, the Gentiles done. Genesis 12, you have Abram and Abraham. And now we're beginning with well, what would be the Hebrew people. And so let's put Job there. <laughs> uh, it's as good as any other place. Because Job really doesn't talk about anything. Of far biblical history. It's a book all by itself. It's a unique book. All by itself. So that's there. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those were all written by Moses. And they'd all be written about the same time. So they're all there. Then you have Joshua. Uh, judges. During the period of the Judges. You have Ruth. Was written during that period. So she's down here. Then you have First and Second Samuel. And First and Second Kings. But pr- prominently in First and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, what are you talking about? The kings of Israel, and Ju- Judah and Israel, correct? Well, what are the Chronicles talking about? So they're written actually about the same time. Okay, They're there. And then, well, what about the Psalms? Well, who wrote the Psalms? David wrote most of it. Well, he was a king back here in this, this early period. So he would have written back here. And the same way with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, where Solomon wrote those. So he would have written back in this, this period as well. So, so you see how they all fit together like that. And then you have the, the ma- minor and major prophets. Well, who were they prophesying to? The Israel on a whole, but primarily to the kings. All right. So they're up here during this period of the kings. Then you have Daniel and Ezekiel, who were prophets during the exile. And then you have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, who were the prophets after Israel came back into the land, which is covered by the books of Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. So actually, the, those Old Testament prophet books really just whoosh, up, over, and down, and just sit on top of, of the earlier books. And so I just gave you that so you would understand The what? <laughs> the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah. That's Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom was divided in two. Right. So you had the north and the south. Yeah. All right. Then I gave you one that says, understanding the, God's communication to us. Okay. Looks like this. It okay, looks like this in the top you have the message and that's not that 's not the bible version okay um, but that 's the message is is what God is conveying is what god 's conveying god 's thoughts so god 's message is conveyed then through inspiration, all right it comes down it 's translated into a message that people can understand so whether it's Aramaic or Greek or Latin or whatever, it's translated there. And human authors and thoughts and vocabulary there. So then you have the original manuscripts. They all came down to us from the inspiration of God. The transmission of the text down through the centuries by copying, copying, copying. I think they said last night, uh, especially the Old Testament, the the, the, uh, scribes, As they translated the Old Testament, they, in fact, when it comes to the Old Testament, there's literal no debate over the writing of the Old Testament and the words and the text and all of that. And primarily because the scribes had a system in which they knew how many characters were on every page that they translated. They knew how many characters, how many jots and how many tittles were on every page. And when they got down, done with a the page, they would count from top to bottom, and then from bottom to top. And if the count didn't come out right, they'd throw it away and start over. Start over. Because it had to be perfect. It had to be perfect. And they guarded that very carefully. In fact, even its, its tradition says, and, and, and I think it's probably true, when they came to the word Jehovah, they left the vowels out. Hence, we have the word Yahweh. Okay, uh, Just the, the consonants in that. Because they couldn't write the name Jehovah. Yeah. They, couldn't the they couldn't write it out. It was too sacred. They just couldn't do that. And when they wrote, wrote the, the name Lord or God... Or, or Yahweh, they would put down their quill and pick up a fresh one and write with it and then put it down and pick up the other one and write. They had such a reverence for God uh, in their writing uh, as they wrote. So, so you have the transmission. Then you have exegesis. Exegesis is reading out from the Word what is originally there in the Word. And, and uh, exegesis is what uh, a person does as they study, or as, as a pastor does as he gets up and he preaches through a verse or a chapter or a book or whatever. Uh, exegesis. That's taking the verse or the words or the verses and just proclaiming what it's saying. Okay. Then, then you have eisegesis. Eisegesis. That's the one down here. That's reading into it. That's when the pastor starts Saying, but on the other hand, <laughs> okay, and, and he starts really imposing his own opinion, his own thought of what this really means, all right, and, and, and you'll notice it says, Goal, keep above this line. The one thing we should all do is there's really little to no room for eisegesis, for eisegesis. Stay with exegesis, not eisegesis. And then the last one is just the streams of Bibles, purity versus corruption. And and, um, the Antiochian stream as opposed to the Alexandrian stream. The Alexandrian stream, of course, is where it was originally corrupted, Egypt. Oh, you didn't get one of those? Yeah, okay. And um, and it's been brought along. The Sinaticus and the Vaticanus; those are the two primary manuscripts that are used today. And both of them originate out of that corrupted text. Uh, and both of them originate from the Church in Rome. Those are; they were found. Uh, I think one of them was found Vaticanus. The Sinaticus was found in a in a. Uh, uh, a what? Uh, I was going to say a fireplace, um, and they were going to be burned, and somebody found them, and it, and they found them too soon. <laughs> they have been better off if they'd have burned them, um, because really, those two actually form the basics for. Um, the translations today. Translations today. Um, so, anyway, I just thought uh, I'd give you those. Um, oh, okay. We can put them over on the table if you want them. Um, this is this is uh, the chart on dispensational theology. This is the one everyone needs to have. This is it. This is the final authority right here. This is the one that I did. You what? You don't have a watch on. <laughs> but this one this one has it. And, and I will tell you, if you have one of these already, um, because we have some over there, I think, in a little brochure, it's not the same as this. Because on this one, I've added Daniel. Because I think Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9 is key to understanding dispensational theology. And so I put Daniel on here on this one. But that's there. And then, uh, this one is God's prophetic program, as seen by the prophets. And this is, this is another area where most of Christendom fails to understand. Um, that the Old Testament... Pro- Let me stand on back here. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the Old Testament prophets, as they spoke, they, they were able to... God showed them into the future. All right? And they spoke of many... Oftentimes... Well, I shouldn't say that. They spoke in two ways. They spoke... Their prophecies actually many times had two two interpretations. One was in the immediate. One would be in the future. So it would have a partial fulfillment soon and a full fulfillment later. All right? So the prophets... As they stood back here on the mountaintop, they could see into the future. They could see the various, as Daniel saw, the various uh, kingdoms that were empires that would arise. They could see various things that we have down here that they could look into the future. The Old Testament prophets all spoke about the cross and, and, and the death of Christ. So they could see that. And then ultimately, because they were looking into the future, they could look all the way over here uh, to, the, to the period of the end. And so you have Ezekiel and Zechariah and Zephaniah. They're writing about end times. All right? So they could see over there in there. So they could look across and all these mountaintops. They could see. What they couldn't see, what was hidden from them, was down here in the valley is the dispensation of the grace of God. They couldn't write about it because they couldn't see it. They didn't know about it, okay? And, 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 and I'll take it what we've already been saying here tonight. It's not that they didn't see it. They didn't know about it. God didn't give it to them. So they couldn't see down here. All they could see was these things that were ahead of them and this that was off into the future. Uh, and for, for some of them, especially these, the prophets living in this time, I, I don't even think they thought this would... They didn't have any idea... That this would be so far off. I I think even when Peter writes about a thousand years as like a one day. I think he really thought this was going to be any day now. Even Paul, when he talks about the end. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I think Paul thought he was going to be raptured away. No one thought it would be 2,000 years. Okay. So, but anyway, those are there. And there's some explanations down here for all of that.